Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hey guys, Buddy C. I'd like to welcome Marla and Lala and Tina and Paul and Craig today so far. Welcome everyone. What y'all think of this 68th chapter? Beautiful. It's beautiful, as always. We've just had a discussion that have we actually seen the same thing in this chapter, which is we really good. We never do. Yeah. <laughs> it always, is... yeah it's, it always highlights how this influences people in different ways. Mal yeah. saw, saw something, I was like, I didn't see that at all. That's, that's not my fault. <laughs> One sentence, what did y'all see? One sentence, Craig. One sentence for me. Um, yeah. Humility and staying right-sized. Okay. Marla? There's no I in team. <laughs> but there is a me, though. <laughs> I meaning my my huge team. Okay, okay. I'm just sorry. I couldn't I couldn't resist. I, know. I used to work in a team place, team environment, and so I've, it was uh, that reminded me of that in the '90s, Marla. Thank you. Anyone else have a one a one word one sentence for this? I just wrote down one word, and like Marla, I, wrote, I just wrote teamwork. Was yeah, 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 yeah. For me, it's that idea of competing but not competing. Paul, are you going to read for us today, sir? Yes, I can. All right, uh, chapter 68, first translation. A good soldier is not violent. A good fighter is not angry. A good winner is not vengeful. A good employer is humble. This is known as the virtue of not striving. This is known as ability to deal with people. This, since ancient times, has been known as the ultimate unity with heaven. Second translation. The best athlete wants his opponent at his best. The best general enters the mind of his enemy. The best businessman serves the communal good. The best leader follows the will of the people. All of the embody the virtue of non-competition. Not that they don't love to compete but they do it in the spirit of play. In this, they are like children and in harmony with the Tao. Third translation, the best warriors do not use violence. The best generals do not destroy indiscriminately. The best tacticians try to avoid confrontation. The best leaders become servants of their people. This is called the virtue of non-competition. This is called the power to manage others. This is called attaining harmony with the heavens. And the final translation, a true warrior never uses force with an attitude of pride or anger. A true victor does not pursue vengeance. A true leader shows humility. This is the power of modesty. It's the best way to deal with people. It's always been an excellent way to get right with the doubt. Comments. You want more Oh, nothing. I'm just nothing. Talking to myself. If we can, uh, for me, if I think about this with the idea, kind of try to put as much as I can this war- warrior fighting out of my head and look at it more as athletic things that would apply to us more, really. Athletics, business. Uh, getting along with the people around us any time that we're having to any kind of competition or any kind of working with others, really, in any way this can apply to. The Jonathan Snow, John, I keep calling him Snow, because I've been watching Game of Thrones again. Jonathan <laughs> Starr, <laughs> that's what it is. I wondered why I wanted to say John Snow all the time. But, uh, we're in the first chapter. Let me tell you something about this that I'm, and I have not got my head around why this is yet. But okay, we started over the first um, uh, um, season of Game of Thrones, and I watched it once. Me and my wife have watched it, 
So this is about my third time of watching. And something interesting is happening. When there's something really evil that happens, it does not upset me as much because I know what the future is going to be. I know that oh, he's going to get his. So, he, you know, it doesn't bother me. I don't take it as personally. And something interesting that's happening with it, and I haven't got my head around all of it yet, but there's, 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 an app, there's a life application to this. So I'm waiting to see, but it's, it's interesting how I'm watching it, I'm seeing it, but yet I'm not taking it personally, and I'm not, uh, it's not upsetting me as much as it did before, you know, because I think it's because I know what the future is going to be for that person. So, yeah, you know the outcome. I know the outcome, so it's kind of uh, it's interesting to watch, Craig. I just hope he finishes the two books before he dies. I've read all the books. I, I, I sat and watched the first the first box set, but I really couldn't get into it because they missed that much out. They miss out all the depth of the character. And... Isn't it always that way, though? Oh yeah, I know. But you know, the, the books were so much better. I think it's like everything else in life that people just want you to. People are giving you what they want you to see. Aren't we doing that to everyone around us too, though? We yeah. do that all the time. Yeah, but we shouldn't be doing that now. We should just be, just be doing. Uh, people don't want to know all I think. I need to do that. <laughs> so, if you've watched this, this since the third time in range, you said, yeah, yeah. Okay, the Jonathan Star translation says he puts himself below and brings out the highest in his men. This is the virtue of non, not confronting, of working with the abilities you have and complying with the laws of heaven. This is the ancient path that leads to perfection. Now, when I did my own translation, if, if you have not bought, if you're thinking about what book should I buy to study the Tao Te Ching, this definitive edition of the Tao Te Ching Jonathan Starr, translation and commentary. Don't just get his translation. Get the translation and commentary. It's 300-plus pages. And you can kind of make your own translation up. So this is my translation of the – and um, Wayne Dyer used this to write his translation. This is what he used. So it's really good. Listen to this. One who acts as a good warrior – is not warlike, is not aggressive, not violent. Skillful fighting is not angry, doesn't resort to what rage. Think about that in athleticism. Um, the winner does not engage. The best way to use others is to serve them. This is called non contending or harmonious living so far i see the best action is not to serve it is to serve and if i'm angry or disturbed in some way that is telling me that uh i'm not right size that i'm engaging and i don't need to be doing that um this means to put the effort of others to use and this is known as the highest attainment of the ancients. So this is the highest attainment. This is, this is like Tao graduate work. So I doubt we get very far in, in an understanding of this chapter at all. But it really goes back to my action in all this is serving. It goes back to the same thing again, right? You know what I was going to say um, in reading this? And, and listening to all this, um, you know, one of my big character defects is the bratty teenager that comes out. Um, and it was my go-to, particularly, you know, with my mom. And it served a purpose, you know. It served a purpose at the time. You know, I was angry for, you know, things that happened in childhood. And, you know, when I see something like, for example, just that first thing, a good soldier is not violent. It's like I always have that. Tool. You know, I have that tool, but it doesn't serve my kind of higher purpose right now. It bring, you know, it brings me back to, you know, power tripping and all that. And it's like, 
no. Now I have the tools of kind of being able to see people where they're at, look at them as either limited, not not doing something purposefully to me, and um, it, it comes from a I, – I have different weapons, if you will, as a fighter than using that um, old go-to, you know, armor, bratty, bratty girl armor. Um, and so, yeah, I'm graduating. But it comes and it comes out sometimes, and sometimes it needs to come out, particularly with um, customer service. <laughs> how, about, how about this? Thank you, Lala. How about this idea that the best athlete wants his opponent at his best? That I not his opponent at his worst, so he can make sure and win. <laughs> That, that, speaks, that, that speaks of equality. Um, I mean, for me, I, 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 I literally just scanned it as I came on because I hadn't read it before. And when I read it, it in the way that Buddhism talks about grasping, um, and I tend to think grasping in terms of things that you want. So the outside trappings of life that we, we tend, well, that I certainly um, used and relied on to give me self-worth um, in addiction and also in recovery. Um, this is almost equivalent to grasping, but in a, in a character way. So the striving is, you know, I, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be um, the greatest leader. I wanted to be X, Y, or Z. And this is saying, well, actually, no. To be, all, to be, to be um, a decent human being, you really want to be all of those things, and you don't want to strive um, because you know, like, throughout, throughout my life, perfectionism and striving and achieving were, were pretty much, you know, the way things were. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I'm actually far more at peace and far, you know, more content. The same with grasping for something. If I want something, if I'm trying to make something happen, it's really painful if you just let things go and you let things, you know, you, you move with the flow, go with the flow. Um, then again, it's more content and your life is more peaceful. So that, that's kind of how this pop, this popped out at me when I just scanned it. Um, don't know whether that makes any sense. It does. Kirsty. Thanks. I'll go to Marla, then Rob, um, Marla. Part of this whole verse also is about from, you know, the way I'm feeling it or the way I'm reading it is when I um, work as a team or when I surround myself with people who are, I don't want to say better, maybe better at something than me, mm -hmm. it makes me better. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that uh, Omar always asks in his podcast is, you know, what did somebody say to you that really struck you? Or, I don't, not in those words. And I always, when I'm listening, I always think, somebody said to me, stick with the winners. My first sponsor actually said that. That's, that has just stayed with me in all levels, of, in, in everything I've ever done. Stick with the winners. Um, because they've made me better. And th that's kind of what I'm looking at in this chapter is, you know, healthy competition is, it's healthy, but it, it, if it makes you a better person, not is not if you want to destroy somebody else or something else. So that's Thanks, what I'm Yeah, that's okay. good. That's good. Rob? Um, like always, this is new to me. Um, you'd think I would have picked this up intuitively, but I think that's why it's counterintuitive. Um, the Tao recovery, uh, just life. Um, it seems like if I, if I want to get ahead, I've got to just be in the moment 
and not compete as much. If I want to get over my anger and resentment, I've got to pray for them, um, and I've got to look at their life and figure out what they're doing. If I want to be really successful, I've got to encourage other people to win and to succeed. This is all totally counterintuitive. Um, in my 30s, none of you would have wanted to meet me. I was terrible. I was a horrible human uh, in corporate. And I can remember uh, one particular situation where I, I took on this guy. And um, long story short, I, I called him out. He never got anything finished. And I called him on it. And then he wound up golfing with uh, one of the CEO's friends. And then he became my boss and then laid me off. So it's it's kind of one of those real weird uh, deals. I mean, I guess I guess what I have to do now is whatever my gut intuition is, I've just got to do the opposite. And this is another one of those um, situations where for me to succeed and be happy, and I have to actually change how I think competition is. And it works. It really does. It, if I'm... If I'm the aw shucks, you know, I'm just trying to do my best here and let me try to help you guys also be your best. People tend to, to work better and things tend to work out better, which is totally counterintuitive to how I was taught and how things were. Um, so I don't know what I'm trying to say, but this this stuff is um, it's cool. And I appreciate going over that with us. Thanks, Sorry. Rob. Paul? Yeah, that's what I love about groups like the SRC. You know, we all come in and support each other. And, you know, we all want each other to succeed, which is, you know, a really cool facet of, of recovery. You, you know, and the thing is this, when I'm competing with someone, when I'm wanting to win, that means someone else has to lose. If I'm coming with that mentality. If I win, that means someone loses. So, you know, that really creates the separateness that, that causes uh, everyone to lose in reality because that win is not really a win. I'm looking for the next win. I'm looking for the next win. So it takes the win away from me when when you have to lose or or if I lose, you know. So that idea that, uh, converting this from an attitude of uh, win-lose to play is, you know, I remember when I was a kid, we'd play some game. And, you know, then, you know, if we were thinking we were whatever characters, then we would change. Oh, I want to be that now. And you can be, you know, and you would play, you know, that idea that uh, I think it's that idea that everyone can win, that idea that, you know, in whatever I'm doing, it's uh, how can I help you, and yeah, in me thing, helping you. Yeah. yeah. Another thing, another thing that along those same lines, buddy, that was going through my mind was um, I have a friend who is an umpire for Little League, and he says you wouldn't believe some of the parents how they act at these Little League games, and he feels so bad for the kids because the kids just want to play. The kids are there to play. They're not there. You know, it's the parents who. Or, you know, got to win. You got to do this. You got to do that. The kids are just like, you know, the kids are just there to play. They're enjoying themselves. Yeah. And we lose parents, that. If the, parents, if the parents would just chill out and let them be kids, it'd be a lot, lot, lot better. You know, and in life, we lose that as we get older. And that that's one thing that I think this chapter helps us to find. Okay. Let me see some other thoughts I had. Oh. If we want, if we're looking at our to our opponents to do their best, if that's how we're approaching this, if we're thinking about it, maybe the the easiest way to think about this first is some kind of a friendly competition, and then maybe we can get some insight in how to handle this in business. But um, how about if we started with gratitude as a way to get recentered with this? What are we grateful for in our comp? Yes, Paul. In our competition, what are we grateful for and whoever we're competing against, if we want to look at it that way. If we're looking at athletics, um, 
you know, and then if we can traverse from that to if we have a competitor in business, how can we be grateful for something in our competitor? Lala? Hi. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of this in terms of my battle with alcoholism. Okay. Um, I typically, you know, I, I was in, an, in a facility once where the therapist was like, you're battling. You know, it's almost like good versus evil. You know, I have my alcoholic mind versus my recovery mind. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm usually in competition with myself. I don't tend to compare myself to others. It's just I'm not a competitive person. I never was in the team sports. I was a long-distance runner. I was sole, you know, like on my own team. Um, but, yeah, I, I tend to think of this more as having gratitude for my alcoholic self versus my recovery self because I wouldn't, you know, I am in that, that frame of grateful recovering alcoholic now because, you know, if it was still working, if alcohol was still working for me, I wouldn't have any spiritual growth. I might have been having what I thought was fun, but, this, you know, the boredom of the same thing over, over again. So, yeah, I tend to be battling my own self or, or competing against my own self. I think, I think for me, on, just coming from what um, Lala was saying, um, because I always wanted to be the best and because, I, because of the perfectionism, when I thought I wasn't and because of the low self-esteem, that was kind of almost, it was all the time. It was kind of, it was that it, it is a paradox. You're wanting to be the best at everything. You are, you are competing. Look, you know, like you said, you're competing against yourself, whilst at the same time thinking that you're a piece of dog do on someone's shoe, and so you never, you're never, you're never going to get there. And that was a major reason why I just wanted to kind of black out because you were never there. You were never at the point that you wanted to be. You, you, you were striving for something that was almost impossible, given the foundation that actually you, you felt like a piece of shit, um, no matter how well you did. Um, so, yeah, that, that can relate to that a lot. So it's like radical acceptance. You know, you have to have radical acceptance that you're never going to be the you know, perfect, you know, or it's like accept, have to, have it, learning to accept yourself where you're at. Yes, good. The good employer is humble. The virtue of non-striving, looking for the communal good. It's not that they don't love to compete, but they do it in a spirit of play. So our first red flag, of course, is our striving our um, uh, where we have uh, where we're disturbed that shows us areas that we need to start serving in you know it shows us areas that that uh, we're still looking for the divide rather than how to unite you know we're still creating separateness and anywhere in life that I'm creating separateness uh, I'm injecting fear really because I'm either saying I'm not good enough or I'm better than you. <laughs> and the, the goal is to is to be able to live above those things in love. And when I can inject love instead, when I can walk in love, then I can see um, I can see the way to uh, to living in this non competition, which brings peace and joy. If there's no more comments at the moment. We'll go to Wayne Dyer. The sixty eighth verse. A good soldier is not violent. A good fighter is not angry. Good winners do not contend. Good employers serve their workers. The best leader follows the will of the people. All of them embody the virtue of non-competition. This is called the virtue of non-contending. This is called employing the power of others. This, since ancient times, has been known as the ultimate unity with heaven. Woo! This verse of the Tao Te Ching asks you to reconsider what you think you have to do to be a winner. 
In the Western world, getting ahead most often implies having to be in a state of contention and competition. Basically, you must defeat the other guy by getting what you want before he does. Lao Tzu asks you to change this kind of thinking by embodying, quote, the virtue of non-competition, unquote, which can work for you even in a society where conquering and being, number one, are so highly valued. The Tao Te Ching teaches that all of the 10,000 things emerge from the same state of non-being. Here, there's only oneness, which implies complete collaboration, not competition. Who can there be to defeat if you see yourself in everyone? You'd be picking a fight with yourself. I think Kirsty just said that. Lao Tzu asked you, Ask that you follow his advice and choose to live by cooperating. Hold on right there, Marla. I'll be happy to. Yeah. Any comments, guys? I'm looking back to make sure. Okay. Yeah, this, this, I think this is, this is very much what Kirsty was talking about, about fighting with yourself, about not being perfect and being a, you know, thinking yourself as a, as a piece of dog shit. Um, but if you see yourself in everybody, you're just this, like them. This idea of moving from competition to collaboration. Let me yeah. work with you instead of against you. Yeah. It it all relates. It all it's all a string of um of it's a related string. I'm gonna move on a little bit. Okay. Well, you know what? I like the next paragraph too. Believe it or not, this can actually work to your advantage in athletic competitions. Rather than thinking of an opponent as the enemy and employing anger and mental and physical violence, remind yourself of Lao Tzu's words in the opening of this verse. Quote, a good soldier is not violent. A good fighter is not angry. Good winners do not contend, unquote. Instead, such individuals view their opponents as part of themselves, and as crucial members of this dance of life. Do as Lao Tzu advises and employ the power of others to elevate yourself to the status of a winner. That is, cooperate with your opponents by wanting them to play at a high level, the best they're capable of. Shift your focus from being upset or self-reproaching to the task at hand. See the ball, move the ball, or remain upright and balanced in martial arts contests. Right, Craig? Where'd he go? Um, I think, you know, this is kind of what Paul was talking about, that in recovery here, in these, these groups, these communities, we are all working towards making each other better. So yeah, we become better. That's how we heal. And as we work, to help someone else, we find ourselves helped. Yeah, each other. So it's not about us getting well than helping someone else. It's the idea that as we help someone else, we are healed ourselves. Yes. And that's the beauty of working in communities. And um, how can we take that same idea of, of we are, we gain health by helping someone else into other areas of our life. So we take the competition out or I have to push you down so I can get ahead. How can we move that from the way we learn to do recovery into everything else with our kids, with our spouses, with the other people that are important in our lives, then on to business and all these other areas of life that we, that we find ourselves. And that, you know, as you were saying, that creates a big circle because once you get well and once you start doing that with other areas of your life, your recovery becomes stronger. Yes, yes. So it's all, it's a big, this is important stuff. So um, oh, it's, all, it's all good. I love every chapter of this thing. <laughs> so, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay, when anger isn't a component, your game will go to a new level. And this is true 
off the athletic field as well, which is what you're just saying, what you fight weakens you. What you cooperate with strengthens you. So change your thinking about competing to cooperating in all areas of your life, including your work. I practice this concept by thinking of, this is um, Wayne Dyer speaking about himself. I practice this concept by thinking of every person whose purpose is to help improve the quality of life on our planet as being my partner on my team. I cannot conceive of anyone out there whom I'm in competition with for any external prize. If they sell more books than I do, I applaud their good fortune. In fact, I'll tell as many people as I can to buy their products. If they make more money, get more publicity, or reach more people, I celebrate by thinking, my teammate has helped me with my mission. When I play a close tennis match, I silently send love and encouragement to my opponent. When I'm less stressed, less angry, and less violent in my thinking, I'm living in the moment that Lao Tzu calls, quote, the ultimate unity with heaven, unquote. My level of excellence soars regardless of the outcome on the scoreboard. So the next paragraph I found really important. Declare that you're not going to fight. Don't fight colds, illnesses, or even serious afflictions. Don't fight with family members or against political opinions. Um, don't keep reading. Fight, keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> don't fight addictions, and most important, don't fight yourself. Instead, make the shift to living by cooperating. If you have cancer or arthritis cells in your body, talk to them from that perspective. If you insist on living in my body, I wish to live in harmony, peace, and total health with you. Otherwise, I invite you to take up residence elsewhere. Not sure I believe all that, but this may sound strange, but it puts you back in harmony with the Tao, which isn't violent, hate, hateful, or angry. Let me ask you a question. Let's let's. I don't. I don't know about that either, Marla, but I do know. Hold on. Calm down, Edgar. Uh, I do know, and let's talk about this for a second. I want to take us off the share so we can, hopefully I don't miss anybody. How would our idea of stopping resistance factor into this? Like our resistance to thoughts and meditation, or we learn that with our emotions, like anger, that, you know, when we resist our anger, it makes it stronger. And what we have to do is, is sit with that for a few minutes. And usually it just dissipates and leaves. It does for me. So I've learned to do that with any emotion that I'm having or any craving that I'm having. I just sit with the craving for a minute and accept I'm having it. And then it dissipates usually. So, Jan, you have something? No, I just wanted to, to say, I, I guess that's surrender, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. That's real surrender. It really is. And bringing that idea of surrender and stopping the fight into everything, right? Yeah, that's good. Anything else? Okay. I call it don't feed the beast. <laughs> Yeah, that's the same thing. The good wolf and the bad wolf, you know, that terrible. Don't, don't feed the bad wolf. And, and how do we not feed the bad wolf? By feeding the good wolf. By feeding someone else's good wolf too, right? <laughs> and someone else's good wolf. <laughs> I've been waiting on someone on that podcast to say that is there a way they feed their good wolf is by feeding someone else's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you missed it up for me, buddy. But doesn't it work, though, Jan? Isn't that the real idea behind this? That's the paradox. Well, sure. Yeah. If you imagine somebody that you have issues with, instead of, you know, giving them, feeding them hate, you feed them love, the issues dissipate. You know, they have nothing to fight against. You don't give them anything. You don't give them any ammo. When I was in the real estate business, Lala, I found out that when I had a listing that wasn't selling, there was a lady I didn't like in the real estate business. And I used to pray for her listings to sell. <laughs> I 
I, that's kind of what this, this is a little bit of what this is talking about. When I used to buy a lot of houses, I had a guy that would bid against me that would not do his homework, but he knew if I was bidding, it was okay to bid on the house. So he would bid when he saw me bidding. Okay. So I started praying that he would buy all the houses he needed to buy. I started praying for God to bless him. And I don't know if it helped or not, but it helped me because I quit being mad at the guy. <laughs> I quit being angry with him. So it helped. You know, that's a, that's an aspect of this, I think. Tina? Um, I, you know, the part that perked my ears up was um, the cancer part because, you know, I think about my relationship with cancer. And uh, we were talking about this yesterday, a friend of mine who has cancer. Um, and... He is probably, and you know, it's hard, it's a lot of pressure to put on someone, but in my mind, the smartest guy in AA that I know, um, he just is, he's like, uh, that's his, that's his niche. That's what he's here for. And, um, he has prostate cancer and we were talking about it after the meeting, um, yesterday and, and he talks about it a lot, you know, and then that's the problem with putting someone on a pedestal as you think. Oh, but he should have had, you know, he should have this licked and, and why does he talk about it so much? Well, he talks about it so much because he knows what to do. And that to me is not fighting it. It's, it's still talking about it a year after it's going on. And you think, um, you know, so to me, it's a, the acceptance is, because we, then we were talking in this week, I think in this meeting too, we talked about being a warrior against cancer, being this, you know, fighter. And it's just been dawning on me this month that me, and that kind of, I think, prevented me from dealing with my real feelings about it, which I think ultimately led to my relapse. Um, and so I think it is good to embrace it and let it be where it is. Um, my mother-in-law also struggled the exact same time I did, um, and is still going through it. It will be on chemo till she passes. Um, and she has declared it, you know, she went to a lot of the, the, um, the church things that would pray it out. And she was like, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay firm in this. And, you know, it's, she's gotten more years with this clinical trial than we ever would have thought. You know, and I was like, oh, I'll be damned. <laughs> um, and so who's to say what works? But she fought it, but but at the same time, you know, so who knows what works? But for me, I feel like I need to embrace it because for me, it, it's to drink is to die. And it could have killed me by not embracing it and letting it flow organically. However, getting treatment, you know, not just praying it away. So I had to get the treatment. And... But I can see where fighting even something like that would would be detrimental, and so it's it's like if you do if you're fighting something, you're not getting the lessons that are meant to be bestowed upon you, whatever for whatever reason. If I'm fighting it and seeing this isn't going to happen, it's like no, I have to cease fighting everything and everyone and accept it. But it's a tough one. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't had. Um, life-threatening cancer i had a melanoma that was removed and that's all we had to do didn't have to do any more treatment but um so i didn't really feel qualified to say anything about that you know because i haven't been in that situation but there is i know from uh, my our letting go book that there's a there's a relief and a healing that comes with this point of surrender and powerlessness that we found we found that with alcohol so I guess the question would be, when you're in a, a life-threatening situation like that, where is the balance of coming to that point of surrender, but yet doing everything that's responsible to do? You know, I mean, that's kind of the whole, that's the thing that is to each his own, you know, that you'd really have to, just like with alcohol, learning how to be powerless in alcohol, but yet taking the necessary steps to recover, you know, it'd be the same thing, you know, it'd be the same, the, the same approach. So that's tough. And when, and when you say life-threatening, you know, it's like I said, it, I have to look at every, not everything, 
a lot of things is life threatening when it can depend on if I'm going to drink over it or not. And I think for me, denial and resentments and, and harboring is, is, um, is life threatening. But yeah, and I think each person has an individual response to whatever they decide, you know, and you have, that's where your intuition and listening and having that relationship with your higher power comes in because what might work for me might not work for someone. And you, when you have that innate feeling inside of, yes, this is best, I've prayed about it, I've sat with it, this is my route. That's the best we can do. And we have to move on those actions. Right. <laughs> Talking about, too, that the, the people that, you know, once the doctor said, okay, there's nothing else we can do, and they stop fighting it, then they get better. <laughs> You're like, okay. I think when people talk about this, um, uh, I think there are there are a lot of people that switch off because people believe it's a um, it's a bit woo woo. But from a scientific point of view, when you relax, when you give, when you surrender, you're naturally reducing the level of cortisol within you when within your body. That reduces the inflammation that enables the body to naturally um, restore itself. And so, even though, um, and I don't, you know, I'm not putting, you know, I, I don't know who, what, you know, I'm not saying that it's not a higher power thing, but the actual act of surrender enables your body to do what it needs to do because by fighting your tensing you're creating inflammation in the muscles and just the level of cortisol which in itself is a you know high levels of cortisol is a predetermined factor for actually causing cancer in the first place by naturally reducing it you are giving your body a chance and you know that's maybe why there are cases where where people have been given a terminal diagnosis, all of a sudden, worries go away. And little things go away. And all of a sudden, the body is just in a, in a state where it can almost regenerate. Um, and so it... From a, from a from a scientist, even you know, even for me, it's kind of you can. It is true, absolutely true. But I imagine incredibly difficult if in that situation, because I've not been in that situation, so I can't, you know, I can't speak for that. But there, there's a power in surrender, and a power in letting go, and a power in stopping, learning how to not resist. And for me. I know with alcohol that not resist came from getting the focus off of me and seeing who I could help. And there's an aspect of that for me that works in business and in everything else that if I'm fighting, I said, okay, I got to find a way to be grateful. I've got to find a way to inject some kindness in this interaction (laughs) and stop the fight. So it goes back to that same idea for me again. I can't get off that idea no matter what it is that we talk about. So That's what we're put on earth to do is to serve others. We just Most people just don't know that yet. And then we get what we need by helping someone else get what they need. You know, that, that old Zig Ziglar quote. So, yeah. You know what? And I do have to say real quick about about where – I've talked about my battle with cancer and how it was super, super hard, but, but getting sober was harder for me. And I I mean, it's not, it was, it was, and I can, I can say that still and always will say that. Um, But it just goes to show how, you know, without being about how alcohol is cunning, baffling, powerful, powerful being the latest, the biggest thing. It's so powerful because that we did have to fight that if we would have let, let happen organically, like we say, sees fighting it. Well, you could say that about alcohol, you know, if there's this desire to drink, then why not? Why fight it? You know, if you wanted to look at it from a different point of view, but it, but that's where it gets to be like, it messes with your mind and there's all these other things. So it's hard to apply it to everything, you know, um, because one would say, why not succumb to that? Maybe that's your destiny. But it's, you know, it's not. But we do have a choice there. It gets hairy. So I just want to say, don't, you know, 
not all fights need to be surrendered. But, but for me to over, for me to overcome my alcoholism, that it's paradoxical because I had to come to a place of not fighting it for me to be able to not fight it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really had yeah. to come to this place of surrender because my willpower was not enough, no matter how much I, and I remember when it happened, Tina, I remember, and for me, y'all have heard me say it a million times, it was six years of in and out, in and out, in and out, and I could not get it because I was successful in these other areas of life, but with alcohol, I could not stop. I'd find myself at the liquor store at 10 o'clock in the morning. I had one that opened at 830 if I was really hurting. And so, you know, I mean, I knew, you know, I rotated around. I'd buy a pint so that maybe I wouldn't drink, you know. And, and I was back at the second store at, you know, 2 o'clock and the other store at 5, you know. Then I'd just buy a half gallon because I was done, you know. And so that whole fight, and I finally just said, you know, God, either either this works or it doesn't. Either you, uh, either you help me with this, or I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. And that point of surrender was enough that all of a sudden I didn't want to drink anymore. And I'm like, wait a minute, how is this? You know, I, I was just shaking my head that all of a sudden the 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 need to drink was just gone when I decided I was going to stop fighting it. And I, it, that's hard to put into words. You can't, you know, and I personally had to come to a point of suicide before I was able to surrender. And, you know, I said either this works or it doesn't. I'm done with this. I'm done fighting. And I don't I don't understand that when you're talking about these things, you know, it can easily be misinterpreted that, uh, you know, I'm not saying go kill yourself. I'm not saying that you know, not to, you know, not to resist wanting to drink if it's something that's an issue for you. What I am saying is I had to come to that point of misery that either it was going to stop or I was out of here. It was one or the other. And uh, when I got to that point, it actually started working. And I don't understand that. And that's, and that's very easily misinterpreted and you know, I don't want that to be misinterpreted, but for me, that's what it had to be. And I see people shaking their head that they were, had to come to the same place. So. Thank you for saying that. Um, I know I um, thought I was one of those unfortunates that would never get it. Once I thought that, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to get this. And I got it. And so, you know, just accepting that this is something I'm going to have to, Instead of fighting that I'm an addict and an alcoholic, accepting that, surrendering to it, is it made it made it happen. It made it come true that I can be in recovery. Yeah, I know. Like even even with relapse, it's like I know that person that side's not going to win. It's it's like it's it, the battle's over. It's not like I'm still trying to let that side win. It's I've accepted it. I guess uh, for me as well, when I first came to recovery, I guess part of the surrender has been the um, acceptance of a higher power and what it is. And, and because I'd sworn off religion and, and anything like that due to the way I was brought up. And um, I guess I had some sort of spiritual awakening in the last few years, um, which was, which has been insane. And, and that's part of not fighting it. I fought it intellectually for years. Um, and I, I sometimes still do. Um, but yeah, I guess for me that applies to not just fighting the urge to drink, but I guess also the, you know, the higher power, but, and, and yeah. That's why Jan on page 84, when it talks about the process of asking God to remove it, uh, whatever it is, your resentment, your anger, your selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, whatever it is that's the issue or your craving, whatever's going on. Yes, God, to remove it. You tell someone about it immediately. You make an amend if you need to, and you turn your thoughts to someone you can help. 
And it says love and tolerance is our code. And right after that, it says we have ceased fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol. So the way we get rid of this fight, this resistance, is that simple process of asking it to be removed, telling someone about it, you know, making a if we need to, and then our turning our thoughts to someone we can help. So that simple little process for me is what I try to apply anytime I have that resistance, that angst. And I think we can get to a point in life that we quit fighting everything, everything. And I, for me, that's the simple process to doing that. Um, and this God business, I don't know if it's really a God or if it's something that's innate in all of us. This, I've heard it called best, this uh, drop of love that's in all of us. I think our mentally we just have this lack of understanding, this lack of capacity that we, I don't even know. And I quit trying to figure the thing out. Quit putting it in boxes. It just is what it is. And I just accept it as that. You know, so that's what makes it easy. So, well, that's a great conversation. Thanks, guys. Um, anything else in Wayne Dyer that you want to look at really quick, Marla? We've got a couple of minutes. Yeah, I just closed the book. Um, is there anything there we can finish up? If there not, is. No. Declare you're not going to fight. I liked that. We talked about that. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. I did highlight do the Dow now. Okay. Um, and then I invite you all to read the chapter, the verse above that, or the paragraph above that, practicing yourself and everyone else. Uh, do the Dow now. Affirm that you'll think of your opponent as an extension of yourself in your next competitive encounter. Vow to mentally send that person love, surround him or her in light, and pray that he or she will perform at the highest level. Then note how your own performance improves and carries you to a new level of excellence. We could just go home. That's it. It really is, Marla. And how you could apply that if you're not competing. Let's say you're in business and you have a competitor in business. Try praying for God to bless that person. Give them what they need. Send them love, ever how you phrase it in your, you know, in your thinking. But send them kindness if you want to go that, whatever, ever way you say it. Not evil or, you know, cutting their, taking air out of their tire so they can't make the meeting, you know, that kind of a thing, you know. The opposite, giving there's them what they need, you know. There's, a, a, there's some satisfaction in doing that sometimes. But, you know, you know. Temporary satisfaction. Temporary, yeah. The next yeah. verse is called Living with Your Enemies, just so oh. you know how it follows this one. <laughs> fun, 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 right? Isn't it? <laughs> any, any closing comments, guys? Good conversation. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Well, y'all have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.